Well, this morning, uh, I want to just take a moment to introduce our uh, guests that we're honored to have with us today. And um, one of the things I talked about when I came to Pilgrim is that in our other congregations, we always, once, once a month, would hear from either someone in-house or a guest from outside, other church, a ministry, and sharing, and try to get into that rotation here at Pilgrim. And uh, so as I was asking around and meeting local pastors, uh, I met uh, the gentleman that we're about to hear from this morning, uh, Andrew, and uh, had heard also from him from some folks here as well, and asked if he'd be willing to come and share on one of those Sundays. And, uh, and uh, we met for coffee, and uh, he serves at 10th Church, is um, the, I'm going to murder his title there, I asked and then I forgot, uh, but as a pastor on staff there overseeing the, the Mount Pleasant site, which is their largest site uh, here in Vancouver, and uh, was able to make it out this morning to share with us. And so Andrew's going to come and share the word this morning. And again, it's an honor and a privilege to have him here today. And so I hope you get a chance to say hi to him afterwards or if you haven't already before. Uh, but he can share more about his family and, and anything he wants to by way of introduction as well. But let's give Andrew a warm pilgrim welcome as he comes up to share the word with us this morning. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, welcome me uh, here, Shell. Uh, I, I know a few faces here. I see a few familiar faces as well. And uh, Sarah is my sister-in-law. Uh, my wife is her big sister. And uh, we also know Drew and Marlene. And uh, I have a few connections to program because I used to bike by here like almost every day because I worked at a church in South Van. And so this was my path. And also uh, during high school and college, one of my best buddies lived across the street from here, so uh, we were hanging around, and I can neither deny or confirm that fireworks were set off on church property. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's really great to, to be here together with you. Um, my son, Evan, is here with me. Uh, we have a, a, a Julie as my wife, Sarah's big sister, and we have a 15-year-old daughter, Ashley, and also we're currently fostering uh, a two-year-old. Um, and so we're just, uh, life is full for us, but we are really enjoying our time together. So when our family goes on a road trip, this is commonly what happens to us, especially when we haven't planned our route very well and uh, planned to find a place to stop to eat. And so by that time, we're hungry, or you could even say we're hangry, and everyone's grumpy, and we just want to find something to eat. But we know we don't want to get, grab fast food. because, And so we look for a grocery store because at least there's a chance that we'll find some uh, healthy options there. But you know that's a bad idea. When you walk into a grocery store, hungry, right? You're hungry. There's aisles and aisles of all this delicious food. And so we split off and go into the grocery store looking for our food. So when we meet back at the checkout aisle, I've got... Uh, a bucket of chicken, fried chicken from the deli. Uh, my daughter's got a big bag of popcorn. My son's got Skittles and uh, sugar-coated donuts. And he says, well, at least these Skittles are fruit-flavored. Fruit <laughs> and then Julia will come back with cheese and crackers. Our desire to have, an empty, uh, to have a healthy meal was an, was an epic fail. Our hunger filled us, but it didn't really feed us. I don't know if you knew this, but grocery stores are stacked against you. They have been designed intentionally to keep you in the store for as long as possible. How? 
uh, there's a little map here. Like this is, you know, they make you walk in one, one way and the doors only open one way. And so you have to walk past all these displays before you can get out again. And they also place fresh fruit and fresh flowers right at the entrance. So when you walk in, you feel like, wow, this place sells such great fresh produce. But little do you know, everything else is processed behind it, right? And, uh, and, and they also rearrange things in the grocery store aisles regularly because they know most people just go to get, like, dairy and fresh fruits. So they move things around so that you're forced to walk by different places. They're capitalizing on your hunger to make the most out of your visit. So while grocers invite us into their stores to make the most out of our hunger, Jesus sees our hunger and invites us to make the most of them. Jesus breaks through our, our hunger and offers us something far better. Today, we're going to look at one text in the Gospel of John where people have seen what Jesus can do and they want more of what he has to offer. So turn with me in your Bibles or your apps to John chapter 6, verse 35. And I'm borrowing your great Bibles from the pew because I left my preaching Bible at my church. So... Um, 6 verse 35. We'll start there and then we'll skip to 47. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And skip down to 47. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came to show us who you are in the person and work of Jesus. And that, Jesus, you are the living word. Speak to us today. May we feed on the beauty of your grace and the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage we just read is set immediately after the scene where Jesus had performed a miracle of feeding 5,000 people with just 12 loaves and five fish. And right after that, he walked on water to be with his disciples on a boat. And he's arrived at this uh, synagogue in Capernaum, and, and people have followed him. And what other Gospels refer to as miracles, John uses the word 
signs. And it, for John, this is a very calculated move because he uses the word signs to, because signs point to the real thing. Signs are never the real thing. They remind us of the wonderful, as, as wonderful and order, out of the ordinary these signs are, that they aren't the real thing. They point us to something that is far more significant and real. And in some ways, John is telling us to make the most out of seeing these signs. Don't miss out on what they point to. So here in response to the crowd's request, just in the previous verse, they say, give us this bread. Jesus stands up and teaches in a synagogue and makes the first of a series of seven I am statements that uh, that John uses in his gospel. And these are seven I am statements that use the word, the definite article, the. So in this case, he's going, I am the bread of life. And later on in John, we hear him say, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In doing so, Jesus is taking these physical, commonplace things to help his hearers see and understand spiritual realities. These everyday signs point to a spiritual reality that doesn't seem very apparent to us immediately, but they have deep implications. Jesus repeats, I am the bread of life, three times in this passage, in verse 35, in verse 48, and verse 51. And each time he says this statement, he is unpacking it further. But this statement is really strange, because if you think about it, I am the bread of life, that's kind of weird. I like eating the bread of life, that makes sense, unless you're gluten-free. <laughs> I, but that's not what he says, and neither does he say, I say, I am like the bread of life. But he says, I am the bread of life. Imagine your response if I were to say, I am the Big Mac. I am the California roll. That's crazy talk, right? So today we're going to unpack Jesus' statement on the bread of life in three ways, in three movements. Jesus is the bread that satisfies. He's the bread that gives life. And he's the bread that we eat. If we've ever tried to lose weight or follow a diet plan, one simple way you can do that is to begin counting your calories. You know, on the back of all the food that you buy, uh, there's nutrition labels, right? And they tell you how many calories per serving. So if you're trying to lose weight, you, you start counting all the calories that you're eating. You go to Starbucks or you go to McDonald's, and beside all the menu choices, there's little numbers that tell you the calories of each menu item. So you add up all those calories you have in a day, and, and based on your at physical activity, you burn off some more act, uh, calories during the day. And if you wear a Fitbit or one of those garments, and it tells you how much you're burning. And so if at the end of the day, you're eating less calories than you are, uh, no, you're using more calories than you eat, you begin to lose weight, technically, right? But you've probably also heard there's good calories and bad calories. I'm always having this conversation with my son. And uh, <laughs> Skittles are bad calories. <laughs> And, uh, and, but, but we need, so calories measure energy, but nutrition is measured by, uh, but, but they don't measure nutrition. You need energy to function, but you need nutrition to be healthy. And all food has energy, but some food is more nutritious than others. In other words, there's food that feeds our hunger, and then there's food that feeds our bodies. You can eat all the right number of calories, 
And you might even lose weight, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are more healthy. That's what's happening here in Jesus' conversation with the crowds. They've been hungering for food, and they see how Jesus has abundantly provided bread for them with the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And so they want to know his secret. In the verses leading up to the text, we see their hunger. In verse 28, earlier, they say, what must we do to get this food? And in verse 34, it says, sir, give us this bread always. How do we get what you got, Jesus? We want to eat this bread, so hook us up, brother. As Jesus unpacked his statement, he is saying that their hunger for physical bread is pointing to another hunger, another need to be satisfied. And this deep hunger goes beyond our physical hunger. In the movie Limitless, you can throw the the screen to remind you, uh, Bradley Cooper plays Eddie, who's a struggling writer. He gets access to this magical pill that exponentially expands his brain or his intellect. It's like steroids for your brain. And so he writes a best-selling book in just a few days, and he begins to clean up his life. He learns new languages and new skills almost immediately, and he discovers he has perfect hand-eye coordination. He starts playing the stock market, and he throws in $100,000 and makes $2 million in two weeks. With these newfound abilities, his life vastly improves. But he learns that this near-infinite knowledge doesn't necessarily cure all of his problems. He finds that this greater intelligence leads to greater pain and requires him to sacrifice his integrity. Eddie's appetite for fame and recognition got him far with the help of the pill, but it never solved this deep longing for contentment. Others who have accomplished much often find themselves tremendously unhappy. Albert Einstein, the preeminent physicist, And Bertrand Russell, the philosopher in the 20th century, wrote in the Russell-Einstein Manifesto as follows. They said, we found that men, the men who know the most, are the most gloomy. With all that they knew, they they found their life wasn't necessarily happier. The Jews have come to Jesus to see and saw the signs that he performed and think that the physical bread is what they really want. But Jesus sees their hunger, and he points them to their real hunger that's deeper than physical bread. He's breaking through their hunger. Baked bread is something that we all eat to survive. But Jesus here offers a different kind of bread that truly satisfies. In verse 34, he says, Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry. Whoever comes to me shall never be thirsty. In that film that we just watched during the offering, was that we asserted that promise. And these statements are profound to Jews. In their collective memory, there was imprinted the story of their ancestors wandering in the desert who had to wake up each morning and collect the bread for that day and only for that day. Each day they would wake up hungry, and each day they would go in and grab some uh, manna and bread. But But they would have to do that day after day after day. And each day, God would provide. But Jesus here is saying that the bread of life that he offers is deeply satisfying, and it's once and for all. Do you know what your hungers are? Do you know what they might point you towards? It could be a craving for physical food, but it could also be a craving for attention, for relationship, for recognition, for significance. 
those hungers are part of our humanity. And perhaps those hungers are pointing us to something that can only be satisfied in Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Could Jesus be breaking through your hungers even today? If we eat the bread that Jesus offers, it is a bread that satisfies, but it also is a bread that gives us life. Every time I go to Costco, it is a battle because I'm always tempted by the infamous Costco hot dog. Picture of it there to tempt you. <laughs> All beef wiener, plump and juicy, set between this soft white bun with sesame seeds. I like to add sauerkraut and there's hot chili, hot peppers and you know ketchup and mustard. Mm, so good. <laughs> what was I talking about right now? Oh yeah. <laughs> and all for a dollar ninety nine with an, a bottomless pot. In those moments of weakness, I go to the counter, I grab one. Well, actually, I usually grab two, and down them. And it feels so good. It tastes so great. It's so satisfying in the moment, but an hour later is regret. It's like, why did I do that? This is sucking the life out of me. Satisfying in the moment, but the pleasure doesn't last. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, the bread that he offers is satisfying, but also life-giving. In verse 48, we read, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. You know, many people approach God like a cosmic vending machine. You live your life, you go about your day, and onto your affairs, onto your responsibilities, and some point in the day, you realize you're hungry, and so you want something to eat, so you stop by a vending machine. You scan the menu, you pick what you want, you grab, drop in your coins, and you scarf it down, and then you go on with your day. Keep going with your life, with your priorities. We do that to God often. We come to Him and see we want success. We want health. We want family. We punch in what we want, and then hopefully out comes it, and then we move on with the rest of our lives. The Jews here seeking Jesus are doing the same thing. They want bread. They want more signs. And at their core, they want Jesus to give them what they want on their terms. And of course, that's understandable. They had a need. They were hungry. And Jesus did feed them bread when he multiplied the loaves. When they meet this vending machine Jesus in their minds, not only do they get some bread from him, with the miracle of the loaves. But he's, it's like Jesus showed them, there's a vending machine and I have a key and I can unlock it and here you can grab some. So of course they come back to him wanting more. But Jesus isn't a cosmic vending machine. He's not just giving the bread of life. He says he is the bread of life. They ask for bread, but what he gives is life. So what's the nature of this life that Jesus offers? Jesus promised that, promises that eating this bread from heaven means that we don't die. But is that really true? Of course, we all die in this life that we have right now. Old age hits us. Accidents happen. Cancer takes lives. Taking in the bread of life that Jesus is doesn't mean that we don't die, but it means that we live even after we die. 
When we eat the bread of life, death doesn't have the final say. I've uh, recently in our, in our church, we've had like a f- number of people pass away just in the past week. And I've had to do a f- number of funerals in, in these past few months. And it's a beautiful thing to do funerals for people who know Jesus. Because they are never completely filled with sadness. Because we know that there is another chapter of the story that goes on for eternity. And we will see them once again. And so when people share their memories, it is full of hope. It is sad, but it's full of hope. Because we've come to know this bread that offers us life even after we die. The life-giving bread that Jesus offers, though, doesn't give us life only after death. It gives us life now. And there's a reason why things like baked bread and Costco hot dogs and California rolls and even money and fame feed our longings but don't satisfy our deepest hungers. They offer us, they don't truly offer us life even when we have them. When Jesus says, I am the bread, he is saying that life does not work without me. I am absolutely necessary for human existence. You can choose to orbit your life around your priorities, or you can choose to orbit your life around Jesus. You can order your life around what you want, or you can order your life around Jesus. And only when we order our lives around Jesus do we begin to experience the life that we have been created for. That's what Jesus is hinting at when he says, I am the bread of life. Bruce Metzger, a respected Old Testament scholar, remarks, Jesus doesn't say, I am the cake of life. Jesus is delicious, but we can make it in life without cake. Yes, you can. (laughs) Jesus is saying with the statement, I am absolutely necessary for life. A Vancouver pastor and one of my preaching professors, Daryl Johnson, comments further. He says, Jesus is making us a huge compliment, affirming that we are the only earthly creatures who can be satisfied by heavenly food. No other creature gets to enjoy that. No other earthly person or material can satisfy our longings. He says, we are so gloriously constituted that only a person, with a capital P, can meet the longings and cravings of our souls. In offering us this bread of life, Jesus is offering us himself. He's offering a relationship. After all, isn't that what we long for in the depths of our being? We want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to be affirmed. We want to be known. I want people to miss me when I'm not around. I want people to recognize that I have something to offer to this world and to them. All the money And all the talents and all the resources you might have mean nothing if they can't be enjoyed with others. But especially, we can enjoy them in this relationship with the living God. That's what gives us true life. All of our hungers, all of our appetites for financial success, for recognition and significance, are at their core relational ones. And that's what Jesus comes to offer a life with him, a life with the one who sits at the center of the universe. When Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he invites us to depend on him as we would depend on the food we eat to live. 
as we depend on this air that we're all breathing to, to, to breathe, as much as we depend on gravity to keep our feet planted on this good earth. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, he invites us to take him in as if he is the only thing in our lives to be centered upon. Which brings us to our final movement. How do we actually eat Jesus, the bread that satisfies and gives us life? Jesus repeats, eats this flesh five times in, the six, ver- in six verses in the passage we just read from verses 51 to 57. So he says, I am the bread of life three times, but he says, eat my flesh, eat my flesh, eat my flesh five times, and drink my blood three times. This is important to Jesus, but it's quite abnormal in most conversations, right? (laughs) So what does he actually mean by that? Now, his hearers at the time might have heard it as an invitation to cannibalism, which is why in verse 52 they go, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But that's certainly not what Jesus is saying. First, because cannibalism is wrong in the Jewish mindset. It's evil. But secondly, Jesus isn't just speaking to his immediate hearers. He's speaking to all of us. So how do we eat Jesus? Jason Biasi, a teacher of preaching at Vancouver School of Theology, recently preached in a series in John that we're walking through at 10. And he said this about John. After John... We don't see things the same. Water is now about wine. A door is about entering into something else. Wind is pointing to the spirit of God. And here bread is about a life that we long for. So it's not cannibalism. So commentators on this passage have identified two aspects of what eating Jesus means here. The first is spiritual and the second is symbolic. The spiritual meaning of eating this flesh is simply to believe. It's to believe when we eat the bread that Jesus is, uh, the bread that is Jesus' flesh, and we drink his blood, is to believe in who he is and what he's done for us on the cross. The flesh represents Jesus as God incarnate, which again means God in the flesh. So to eat Jesus' flesh is to believe that he lived a fully human life, experienced all that we experienced so he can identify with us, all of our pain, all of our suffering, and even more. And to eat his blood represents taking in and believing that Jesus' death on the cross pays for our sins, makes us whole, and secures a right relationship with the living God. And there's another connection that these first century Jews would have made when they heard Jesus talk about this. It's not immediately apparent to us. When they heard these claims, eat this bread and this bread of life, their minds and their memories were reminded of the story of the garden at the very beginning of time in Genesis. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, were in a garden and God walked with them and he said, you may eat of any tree in this garden and at the center of this garden was a tree of life and there was also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God said do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for if you eat of it you will die and you will be cast out and we know if you're familiar with the story we know what happens they did eat from that tree 
and they were cast out, and they did die. But here, Jesus' invitation to eat of the bread of life, he's reversing that curse. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna, and they died. But this bread, if you eat of it, you will not die. You will not be cast out. To eat the bread that Jesus is, is to enter back into that life that we lost after the fall. Augustine, uh, the fourth century theologian, comments on this eating of Jesus and what it means. He says, in Latin, crede e mandu casti, which means believe and thou hast eat. Believe and you have eaten of Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the redeemer and restorer, believe, and you have eaten. Believe that he is your savior and that he is the God of the universe and the God over your life, and you have eaten. Secondly, when we eat of Jesus is a symbolic meaning, which points us to the Lord's Supper or communion, which we, we at 10th celebrate together with you on the first week of the month. When we come to the table each time, we are making several statements. We eat the bread and drink the cup. We are affirming our belief that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away our sins and gives us life. And as we take in the elements, we are saying to Jesus, you are the center of my world, and I depend on you for life itself. Jesus comes to break through our hungers, to show us our deep hunger that can only be satisfied by him. I think there's a reason why Jesus takes everyday elements like bread and water and doors and sheep and gates uh, and, and vines to, to, to point us towards real spiritual realities. So every time that we engage with those things, they are opportunities for help to, to nurture our belief in Jesus. Susan Phillips is a professor at Regent College, and, and she suggests tying spiritual disciplines to our existing disciplines. For example, many of us, you know, when we sit down at a meal, we'll pray and give thanks for that meal. Why do we do those things? Yes, we want to give thanks, but we don't have to do those things. But we do them because we can be reminded that our hunger that longs to be satisfied with this food in front of our eyes points us to our hunger to be satisfied by Jesus and that his life is what truly sustains us. So perhaps Susan Phillips' suggestion is something for all of us to consider. We don't just eat of Jesus when we come to the table. We don't just eat of Jesus that moment that we put our faith in him. We can eat of Jesus every day, every moment. And so we can find things that we do regularly in the day and invite Jesus to invite Jesus to show us the significance of those things and what he's done for us. For instance, my wife Julia has uh, started to post scriptures on the mirror next to uh, in the bathroom so that whenever she's brushing her teeth, she's reminded to memorize those scriptures. When I take a shower, I enjoy, you know, the water over my head. And, but those are, are reminders for me saying, Jesus, as I'm being washed clean, you, your spirit is washing me clean from inside out, and your blood has washed my sins away. Thank you for that. I believe that. I trust in that. 
when we find ourselves anxious about anything. And Michelle reminded us, you know, the, one of the most common commands in Scripture is fear not, fear not, fear not. It's because we're believing something else to be stronger than the God who has been faithful to us. So when we experience fear, those are ex- opportunities and anxiety. Those are opportunities to say, Jesus, what am I believing in more than what you have promised to me? Our children have been doing lessons on nutrition in their schools recently. And so lately at the dinner table, uh, they are teaching Julia and I about sustainable food choices and be eating balanced diets. If we don't eat well on a regular basis, the quality of our lives will suffer. In the same way, Jesus invites us to feast on him daily as we would uh, enjoy a better quality of life. If feeding on Jesus is to believe in his life and his death and resurrection, then the opposite of feeding on him is to forget that he is relevant to every situation in our lives. When we seek to fulfill our lives on our terms, we miss out on the best quality of life offered by Jesus. And when we offer, when he offers himself as the bread of life, he wants us to have the best quality of life by trusting our lives to him. Jesus breaks through our hunger to show us this life that he gives to give us the most enjoyable life ever, even here on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this invitation to eat of you, to enjoy life to its fullest. Forgive us for thinking other things can satisfy this deep, deep hunger, as enjoyable as they are, as enjoyable as friendships are, as enjoyable our children and, and money and success and recognition are. They cannot compare to this promise of life that you have given to us, that you have secured for us because you've lived a life that we could not live and you've died the death that we never would want to die. And simply by believing in that, we receive life eternal and life forevermore now. So help us, Holy Spirit, to pay attention to this life that you are welcoming us to, even in our daily routines. I pray that Pilgrim Church would be continually transformed by the work of your spirit to see that Jesus is at work in their lives and that, Jesus, you are at work in this world and, Jesus, you are at work in this community that you've called them to. And why Pilgrim Church exists is because of the many faithful people who have gone out in your name to this neighborhood. So lead Pilgrim Church and lead each one of us to believe in you, to eat of you every moment of every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.